your Tracy Battles move! I'm taking this bomb out of the headlines. I'm rubbing him out. Hey, Tracy, watch out! Warren Beatty is Dick Tracy. You thought it was the perfect pour. Turns out, there's a little more. That's alright, baby. I'll wipe up the spill. It's just... The Extra Squeeze. Hello and hello. You're listening to The Extra Squeeze. I'm your host and aspiring new member of your caress, Hunter S. In this review, interview, discussion program, one of the many Sanukas that will lead our inevitably intersecting lives that much closer together. As the title of this episode suggests, we're going to talk about Warren Beatty's 1990 Dick Tracy, which is an on-screen adaptation of the infamous and famous 1930s comic strip character of the same name, created by Chester Gold. I think it's fair to say that Dick Tracy, uh, maybe not as a character, but as an archetype or as an icon, cultural icon, has existed at least in in Midwest white America uh, for, you know, decades, since the the 40s. It was adapted to the screen multiple times for film uh, during the 1940s. I chose not to watch those because on uh, watching the trailers on YouTube, they looked very um, passionless, sort of uh, unenthusiastic, very grim. And I think that in in terms of viewership, uh, the 1990 film is much more, I'm going to say, breezy, as well as, uh, at least upon my, my research, a little more faithful to the Dick Tracy style and comic cartoon sensibilities from the original comic strip, which ran at least via original Chester Gold art and writing up until the, the through the late 70s. I'm not sure if he, I believe he's deceased now, but I don't know if Dick Tracy is still running. I think it might be. I'm not reading it because I don't read the paper and I don't know anyone else who does. The film Dick Tracy depicts the det- the detective romantic relationships with Breathless Mahoney and Tess Trueheart, played by Madonna and Glenn Headley, respectively, as well as his conflicts with crime boss Alphonse Big Boy Caprice, played by Al Pacino, and his henchmen. Tracy also begins fostering a young street urchin named Kid, and Kid is played by Charlie Corsmo, and I'm going to talk about him a little bit down the line from right now. Um, full disclosure... Uh, I didn't write an outline for this episode. I'm flying by the seat of my pants because I had never seen this film before, and uh, I'm still experimenting with how to put out these episodes. I don't really think there's a ton of value of me scanning Wikipedia and reading IMDb trivia and then just spitting it back out at you. I think there's plenty of podcasts to do that already. I think that if anyone's going to listen to this, it's going to because going to be because we are just having a good grand old time talking about the movies that we watched, the movies that we enjoyed. And truthfully, the reason that I'm talking about this movie is because I sat down to watch this movie 
with no relation to the 2D podcast whatsoever. And immediately upon starting the film, I thought, oh, why? Why am I watching? This film is right in line with the show. Why wouldn't I talk about it? Uh, it's already been a few weeks since we have last spoken. And I'm sorry about that. Times are weird. Times are unpredictable right now. So it's it's kind of difficult to, you know, keep a regular work schedule, keep myself afloat, and also put out these episodes. But I'm doing my best. And... I hope that in the long run, uh, we can get enough get enough steam behind this to, to keep putting the show out. The movie itself was uh, put together, produced, and directed by Warren Beatty. And I think that goes a long way in what this movie is, because it's clearly a passion project, um, if not... I mean, it reads a little more genuine than an ego project. It's very clear that Warren Beatty loves the character Dick Tracy. He very evidently paid a lot of attention to the details, and with the exclusion of Al Pacino's character design, um, which I think is fantastic. Al Pacino's great in this movie. Uh, With the exception of his character design, all of the villains and the character look and the art design in this movie is uh, electric and colorful i believe the the film won an oscar for the the art design as well as the music there is sondheim lyrics and danny elfman music in this it's coming out in 1990 so it's backed up sort of in the same stylistic sensibilities as um tim burton's batman that came out the year previous and i think there is a lot to like, and at the same time, the movie does, uh, it is on, the, the mixed reviews were, were accurate at the time that the movie came out. The movie made a lot of money. Um, it did go over budget, I believe. Uh, Warren Beatty was was known for doing that um, and had become infamous, infamous amongst the studios for doing that uh, after Reds, and that's why I think Gene Hackman, Gene Hackman didn't want to be in this movie. But regardless... The movie is like, it's it's in that same vein as a like the Who Framed Roger Rabbit, or, uh, yeah, like Tim Burton's Batman that was coming out around that same time, and I feel like this is the last time that we're seeing those fully hand drawn, hand painted, studio backlot exterior shots. Um, in this case, I think it's it's extremely in line with with the style of the movie because it's basically bringing out that like cartoony comic strip character look the weaknesses in the film show up in the plot when it gets to be a sort of pretty pretty spoiler plate love triangle mixed in with the again a very like standard issue kind of lack of oomph in the bring down of big boy caprice and the uh dick tracy's relationship to eventually dick tracy dick Dick tracy jr uh formerly known as the kid spoilers um but i don't think anyone's being spoiled by this movie i don't think anyone who's going to listen to me talk about this movie either hasn't seen dick tracy or is going to care about it being spoiled when you watch it i don't even really think that's the value in this movie um when i was watching it i really got a lot of fun out of just watching all of the big character performances, especially Al Pacino because he's kind of doing his scent of a woman thing. Um, 
Warren Beatty looks like the adult variation of a child who is playing with his favorite action figures or toys. And I think that that love is very apparent. Madonna is very vivacious on screen in her presence. I don't think she delivers her lines very... Uh, I don't want to say realistically because it is kind of a cartoon. She's playing kind of a cartoon. But it it's a little flat. Which doesn't surprise me because she is not a a renowned actress. But she was in a relationship with Warren Beatty at the time. And I believe worked for scale on the movie. Um, So I think there was a lot of personal favors going on there. A lot of personal relationships being pulled. This movie has a lot of characters in the background playing bit parts. Mandy Patinkin shows up. Charles Durning shows up in a bit part. James Kahn shows up in a in a one-off cameo. Dick Van Dyke is in this movie in a in a extremely small role, and I think that that's just because Warren Beatty had a lot of personal leverage with a lot of these people in a positive way, in a friendship way, uh, and was able to get a lot of goodwill and people together to to get in on this on this movie, which. The I think he had been kicking around since like the mid '70s, or at least there had been uh, scripts floating around, a variation of the script that Charles Gold wanted to get made, and that was kind of did the whole 15-year Hollywood circuit script development dance around. And I think eventually, because uh, Warren Beatty had such personal stake in it, and was willing to take a financial personal stake in the film. Uh, despite the fact that it went over budget and he paid for it, uh, the movie made I think sixty million. If you factor in a hundred million uh, in total spending for the film's budget and advertising, the film was financially successful. It won three Academy Awards. But the main question I have, amongst amongst others, is the movie. I, I was born in 1995, right? And the movie's essence, like its style, its its warmth, its weird uh, sense of artificiality, like pleasant artificiality, reminds me of like a Who Framed Roger Rabbit or like a Space Jam in, in the later 90s way. Like when it reminds me of a of a way of doing movies that we don't do anymore because of CGI and what CGI has allowed us to do we don't do these sorts of i'm going to call them like cardboard movies or like cardboard cutout movies i don't know i don't we'll, what the I'll brainstorm a term later but movies that were that are purposely artificial in sort of a pleasant way the mid, the kind of early 2000s, uh, like Ang Lee's Hulk kind of had this going on in a bit, in a kind of way that I don't like, but I think if you, if you think about that, you can kind of get what I'm getting at. Uh, the, the art style and the exteriors and the color palette and the cinematography of this movie is very luscious on the eye. It's very enjoyable. I think there's something to the fact that all the villains in the movie have heavy prosthetic makeup in order to look v- ugly. Like, all the bad guys look weird and ugly. 
and in that way, it, it does it does have that you know nineteen nineteen thirties cartoon strip look about it in the same way that Batman does. And I think Dick Tracy and Batman, I don't know which one came first, but I think Bob Kane. I know there's things about Bob Kane and how he blah 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 Batman Batman nerd things contesting who created it whatever. But I think he said that. Uh, Dick Tracy was an inspiration for the Batman character in general, and I can kind of see that because the love triangle with Tess Trueheart and Dick Tracy, it's this whole, like, don't make me your only chance at a normal life, and Dick Tracy's like, I gotta I gotta play in the streets, I gotta shoot my gun. And that as well, I do want to unpack the whole, like, cop, uh, cop allowed to break the rules for the right reasons trope and sort of where we're at with cops and media today but I'll, I'll keep that brief because i don't want the pulpcast to become this serious show because i don't really think it's the place for that another big name actor i forgot to mention dustin hoffman shows up in another bit part yet another uh, huge name but i had a point to make that i slipped past let me jog my mind the movie right okay so i was born in 95 I don't know why this movie hasn't had not leaked into my purview until I started doing research for the show and thinking more about movies in this vein. Like I would expect that like the movie was financially successful, but with a movie with like so many huge names and so much goodwill behind it and made in such a nostalgized like pre-packaged nostalgized manner, it's interesting to me that it did not it hadn't floated into my world uh, up until this point that said i think the movie probably does get a lot of goodwill via nostalgia and probably should be watched in that manner i think it's this is a total sunday morning hangover movie there's lots of excellent montages there's uh, a very simple plot to hang on to there's a cute, fa- f- mild father-son dynamic, and there's some sexy dancing, and there's a bombastic and goofy performance by Al Pacino, which I think there's like honestly some shades of like Les Grossman uh, from Tropic Thunder in there, like Tom Cruise um, with the weird big hands and the the kind of hunchback, and the kid. Uh, the kid played by Charlie Corsmo, that kid was absolutely destroying at this time. He was in Hook. Uh, I believe he was also in, uh, What About Bob around the same time and Can't Hardly Wait seven years later. Um, Fun fact about Charlie Corsmo, he is no longer an actor. He quit acting at a very young age, but he went to several uh, esteemed colleges, including MIT and Yale, and went on to become a hugely successful uh, lawyer who was active in politics and was put on, worked at the EPA, Obama put him on a a special committee. Uh, I believe he's somewhat of a, a... libertarian um sort of originalist republican which i don't necessarily align with but i can't knock him for his high success in multiple fields good on you charlie 
But beyond the particular acting talent and a lot of the big recognizable faces that are in the movie and a lot of the great music and the visuals and basically the film as a as a treat for your eyes i praise it okay you can go watch you put it on it's a it's a great great sunday morning cartoon but to break it down the actual story the experience of watching it uh, i want to talk about just so that there's actually like a reason to talk about this the sort of archetypes that show up in these noir stories because we live in this divisive extreme times Dick Tracy as a character character archetype can be lumped in with this specific depiction of the gruff lawman who can disobey the law at his own behest because he's gonna get his man and that's pretty I'm pretty familiar with that now and growing up um, in this era where we've been inundated for like 30 40 years with this like weird uh cool man depiction of like the john mcclain cop who is gonna save the day even if it means breaking the law himself a little bit and we're very very cool with that by now and honestly i think it has led it led to a weird place where we're like we have this weird dissociation between who what we think of as uh, lawmen and what lawmen actually are. Just some food for thought, and I'm going to leave it at that uh, because I don't want to put that on the feet of uh, 1990s Dick Tracy. Just the same way, or just the same way, I don't want to put that on the feet of um, Brooklyn Nine Nine. Like, why do we target? We shouldn't target things that are purposely made to be comical or lighthearted or fun or fantastical, phantasmagorical. Rather, look at things that are actually in the subtext of of things that you're being presented of uh, at face value and that's all i'm going to say about that the world of dick tracy is one where like batman the villains are all strange and deformed looking and the lines of good and bad are absolutely black and white so i don't want to drag this conversation down into the mud into that mud because Honestly, in the big yellow costume, even all the, despite all the breaking and entering and shooting and crazy driving around and reckless endangerment, Dick Tracy exists in the James Bond, you know, gadgetry, talking watch, secret detective, pulp fairy tale landscape. I mean, he's running around in a city that is, you know, it's is it New York? Is it Chicago? Is is it? Kansas City, where is this place? This weird Tracy city that seems to extend on forever. And I enjoyed, I think, man, Sin City owes a lot to this movie in, in a way I, I'm realizing now as I'm talking about it. It's sort of, Dick Tracy is sort of like Sin City by way of Mario Brothers LSD weird you know, multicolored lunchbox world um, that we we can't go back to of the the 30s and 40s. But yeah, I do think that's that's I like that. Sin City, Frank Miller's characters from Sin City definitely have are evocative of the original Dick Tracy art. 
And I did see in the original, some of in the early opening credits of the 1940s movies, they did put uh, title cards with the original artwork. And there was a 1960s TV show that captured it. But I do appreciate that this kind of goofy sometimes you sometimes characters like want you want them to look like they're in makeup you know it's kind of like that i don't know how to describe that effectively or in a way that that has uh meaning but sometimes it's fun to watch things that are you're being presented in in sort of like a weird familiar fakeness i didn't see a wrinkle in time but maybe like there's some of that in there too where it's like look at these hyper famous people but they're in this sort of like weird distorted landscape and that kind of like weird uncanniness makes it you don't have to take it too seriously and part of that makes the film delightful but part of that also makes the film not have like a ton of stakes i will admit in watching this i really delighted in the first you know hour and 15 minutes of its hour and 45 minute runtime and then by like the end i was like all right all right like well, let's you know wrap it up let's let's get let's get to it um i believe i was scanning uh the imdb for the movie and and there supposedly is a two hour and 15 minute cut of this film and i think it's for the better that uh that has not seen the light of 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 day i would say that watching this movie if i was going to summarize it in an attempt to be uh poetic i would say that this movie feels like a Sunday afternoon. It feels like running around and playing cops and robbers in a neighborhood backyard. It's got this nice sort of wrapped in cellophane processed Twinkie food at the corner bodega type of Mm, like kidness to it. There's like a goofy innocence to it that I really got a lot, a lot out of. And I think that that has a lot to do with pulp and pulp sensibilities and sort of maybe sometimes it's okay to give in to the giddiness of kind of a, or the quirky uh, iconography of old old timiness in a way that doesn't have to be Make you feel all slimy, because um, I think we're all look, we're all looking for ways to enjoy things that don't that don't make us feel slimy. Speaking of slimy, uh, the role of Tess Trueheart was originally to be played by Sean Young uh, of Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, and Blade Runner fame, and I really I love Sean Young. I think she looks so she has such a weird screen presence, and she looks she's very beautiful. Um, supposedly didn't want to work on this film because she wouldn't, uh, she would not give in to the coercive request for sex from Warren Beatty. This is unconfirmed. He said that he didn't want to, or had made a mistake in casting her. And, uh, the mother of Charlie Corsmo, uh, claims that, the, uh, she has verified that it was because uh, Sean Young had become diva-like on set. And so there now it's a, it's all confusing. But I think it's a story worth talking about. There's always, you know, every time I look up this Hollywood history stuff, there's always some trash. Something something happened to someone, and it just reminds me that it's all this, this business 
businessy business stuff in the background. Um, but I don't want to end this episode on a bad note, so I'll leave you with this. Um, Warren Beatty was already a very successful Hollywood actor. Uh, Clyde Barrow of Bonnie and Clyde fame himself. It's Warren Beatty. He's a, he's a Hollywood star. Look at him. He's the handsomest man ever. Um, that's not really true, but like you get you get what I'm you get what I'm saying you get what I'm talking about, um, and when eventually he had enough influence and sway and ability to to move money around, uh, he decided to make something that he clearly had loved since he was a child and cared about, and despite its faults in the ways of narrative and satisfying emotional catharsis. He was able to influence people and get enough effort together to create something that was memorable, that is recognizable, and fun and interesting to look at. Uh, and I think that we can all take, you know, not a life lesson, but just, you know, just get encouraged. It's worthwhile to. You know, we plug away and we plug away and eventually maybe you get the time or the influence to make something you really wanted to have wanted to make for a long time. And I'm going to keep that in mind moving forward. You can find us on Twitter at the Pulpcast Pod and on Instagram at the Pulpcast. We also have a Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on patreon.com slash the Pulpcast. You get access to bonus episodes, ad-free content, and some other further things like merch probably down the line. We'll see. Other than that, I'm going to say if you can find a way to support the USPS, go and do it. Be nice to your neighbors. Drink lots of water. And um, if you don't leave us a review on iTunes, at least keep your eye out for the next installment of The Pulpcast, or The Pulpcast Extra Squeeze.